Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, my name is Seth, and I am blessed to be the worship and creative arts pastor here. As many of you likely know, I've just recently started here, and uh, we just moved to Albany yesterday. When uh, Pastor Steve and I were planning out the Advent series, and he was saying he wanted uh, to give me the opportunity to preach one of the weeks, we initially talked about last week, uh, the 29th, I think it was, and I said, no, that'll be our moving week. Uh, So I don't want to put too much stress on myself uh, to be moving the day before I preach. And then our closing got pushed back, and here we are. I'm preaching the day after we moved. Not just that, but Albany has given us a terrible welcome. Not you as the people. You've given us a wonderful welcome. But Albany itself has given us a terrible welcome with the storm we had Friday night and uh, no power last night and this morning. My wife, Kelsey, was uh, going to be leading worship this morning, uh, but at 6 a.m. with no lights and two young children to get ready, Um, and no way of doing any of that as our house is currently all in boxes. It's all in the house, uh, but it's all in boxes. Uh, So we decided that I would just come to church myself today, at least get myself here, and um, we would go from there. So here we are, and uh, here we are in the Word today. And I just wanted to say I've been in several different churches. I've I've worked as an intern in in a church. I've I've been a youth pastor. I've been a worship pastor. I've been the pastor of the, the church we came previously from. And there is no more stressful of a job than lighting the Advent candles. It's the one that everyone just stares at you with bated breath as you sit there trying to figure out the the lighter that only never works when you're the one lighting the Advent candle. It is indeed the most stressful job. So uh, congratulations, Sadie, for uh, going through that, or should I say Mary, for uh, succeeding, at least for the first service today. Well, we've been uh, blessed thus far to be welcomed into your presence as, as uh, coming in as the worship pastor. And it's been uh, just a great honor to be able to come alongside the staff here, come alongside uh, the worship team that was already here and, and settled, and just come alongside all of you in service and in mission to the Lord. And I'm just excited to be able to have the opportunity to preach this morning, even though it's been uh, quite a a flustered morning for me. Thankfully, I wrote my sermon early in the week, but I do want to warn you, I wrote it uh, too much because I thought I would condense uh, last night, Saturday night, but I never got the chance to condense anything. Uh, So if we're here still, and that clock says 1221, so I'm not going to have a clue how long I'm going. If you just want to get up at some point and and go, you're welcome to. I also have made myself about four cups of coffee, and I've just left them various places. So if you find a full cup of coffee, you're welcome to it. I've only taken a sip or two of it. Um, So I'm a little bit flustered today, but excited and blessed to be able to be with you in this capacity and to be able to share with you the gospel. We're talking this morning about love, the gospel of love in this series called The Gospel of Advent. And the reality is, at the time of Jesus' birth, it had been 400 years since the people of God had heard any word from him. 
It is said that, that when people would pass each other on the streets, they would greet each other by asking, have you heard a word from the Lord? Because they'd been used to hearing from prophets, they'd been used to hearing from the Lord, and it had been 400 years, long years of silence. And so their literal greeting to each other was, have you heard a word from the Lord? They were desperate to hear something. The people had waited for such a long time to hear what the Lord had in store to continue his redemption story for his people. And at this point, it was just wondered, had, they, had God forgotten about them? Had he simply given up on them? Had he given them too many choices, too many options, too many times? Was this it? Was he done? Was the Lord even still there? Was he even still concerned? You see, the reality is, is all hope had seemed lost for the weary world. This series we've been in this Advent season, we've been calling it the Gospel of Advent. And we've, we've, we've done this with the, the mission of expounding on the essence of the good news or the gospel. Gospel literally means good news of the themes we typically recite each year during the weeks leading up to Christmas. Thus far, we've covered hope and peace. As Pastor Steve has walked us through the accounts of hope fulfilled as Jesus was presented in the temple and the peace that was restored through the angel's announcement to the shepherds. Today, as Mary has already informed us, we come to the third Sunday of Advent. This third Sunday where we focus on love. That's what Advent is, hope, peace, love, and next week we'll cover joy. This is the gospel, the good news. Hope, peace, love, joy. We recite these things at Advent, but the reality is, is this is the gospel all year long. That the good news of Jesus is that we have hope. The good news of Jesus is that we can live in peace here and now. The good news of Jesus is that God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The good news of Jesus is that we can have joy despite our unfortunate circumstances. However, I'd like to argue this week, this third focus of the good news is the best news of the entire gospel. That this third focus of the gospel of love is the best news of all. Because the reality is, friends, without God's love, we have no good news. There is no gospel without the love of God. We have no gospel, we have no hope, we have no peace, we have no joy or anything else without the love of God displayed through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, and then verse 13, it's the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable. And does not keep a record of wrong. Love find no, finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the essence of the gospel. God's word literally tells us the greatest thing we may possess is love. 
It's also the greatest thing we receive from God. Romans 5, 8 to 10, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? You see, according to the word, the work, and the character of God, love is a pretty big deal. Love is the essence of God's good news of the gospel. It's the premise of the entire Christmas account. It's the premise of the entire Easter account. It's the premise of the gospel. God followed a 400-year silence with the most spectacular display of his love for humanity that anyone could have possibly imagined, the Messiah. If not for his love, the if not for God's love for the weary world, the Messiah would not have been sent for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Yet in and through his love, God proved to us that, we, that he had hope and peace and joy to deliver us. Through his love, he's proving that he has hope for our weary and hopeless circumstances. That he has joy to give us despite the world around us, despite our, our lack of happiness, we can have joy because of his love, through his love. We can find peace because God loved the world. We can live in peace in a loud and chaotic world. Friends, the good news we rejoice in during Advent and all the rest of the year is God's love. My wife, Kelsey, has taught me a lot about showing and expressing love during the course of our relationship, from, from dating in college, uh, through being engaged, to being married. Uh, you see, I grew up as the youngest of three boys, and you know, my mom was the only woman, the only female in the house. And so, as hard as she tried, uh, we just didn't really express our, our love very well. And so naturally, I just wasn't an affectionate, loving, outwardly uh, communicating my love kind of guy. And so Kelsey, was, as we were dating early on, uh, Kelsey is, is all about love. Um, again, she's not here today, so I'll try not to say too much about uh, Kelsey. Uh, only good things, of course, but Kelsey uh, shows her her love. She wears her love on her sleeve, and, and I was just not that way. And so maybe she took me on as a mission project and, and just kind of got roped in, and she had invested too much time and energy at that point, so she realized she had to just keep me. But Kelsey really has taught me a lot about expressing love. The very, one of the very first instances uh, where, honestly, she actually was planning to break up with me after this uh, circumstance as we were dating in college, she was about to go on a mission trip, and it was overseas, and so foreign country, she was going to have to get some sort of shot before she went, 
uh, to protect against something. Um, and so she was just freaking out about this shot. As much as she shows love, she also uh, shows her, her disdain for any sort of uh, medical type of thing. And so she was panicking about this shot. And I remember us being in the cafeteria, and I was heading to my next class. And again, I was uh, very... Um, uh, strategic and, and structured person. I was uh, on my, my mission. And so she's talking to me about this shot on and on and on about this shot. And finally I said, well, either get the shot or don't go on the trip. And I walked out of the cafeteria to my next class. And I thought, there we have it. Conversation <laughs> covered, closed. And I honestly went through the whole rest of the day thinking that conversation was concluded. Until later that night, and I got a text message. My feelings are really hurt. And I thought, what? Who hurt your feelings? <laughs> Me. What did I do? I didn't even think anything of what I had said. And all the men I'm pretty sure in the room right now are thinking, yeah, you concluded the conversation pretty well. Get the shot or don't go on the trip. Easy as that. But as I've come to realize, as Kelsey has taught me, her expression of concern to me was less about the actual shot. It was less about the actual experience that she was about to have and more about her desire concerning my love, my affection. She, she desired to see that I was concerned with her and for her about this experience. She was going to get the shot regardless. She was going on the trip. She wasn't asking me whether or not she should get the shot. She was wanting my concern. She was wanting my love. She was wanting my affection. She wanted to feel the weight of that support for her. Because the reality is, is we as people, we desire love. We want to know that we are cared for. We want to know and we, we long to feel the concern of others towards us. Because the reality is, is we were made to be in relationship. We were made to receive and to give love and concern. In the creation account, God says it is not good for man to be alone. And he creates a partner for him so that we could be in relationship. And the reality is, and, and men, I was just as shocked to learn this as you might be. Relationships require love, concern, affection. A desire given to us directly from the heart of the creator. Genesis 126a. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. You see, God made us, to, made us in his own likeness and instilled within us a deep desire to give and to receive love. He says, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. But wait a second. Who is God, the creator, talking to here? As he says from the very beginning of time, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Who is God talking to? Who else is there? And I've found the best place to find answers to Bible questions is in the Bible. 
despite what the, the world around us and even uh, some in the church may, may uh, think. The best place for us to find the answers to our questions is in the Bible. And so I want us to focus our minds and our attention on John 1, 1 to 18 here this morning. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. I believe that's the translation that's up on the screen. John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. And to those who believed in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed the glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This is the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the one and only Son, who himself God, and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So in the very creation account, we see God saying, let us make man in his own image. And then we see in the gospel of John, New Testament here, at the very beginning of time, Jesus was there. God's love was there from the very moment of creation through the person of Jesus. And even in the beginning we were made to be in relationship with him. And so I realize right now some of you are panicking because I'm about to give the very first point on our, 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 our uh, note-taking guide here. And you think, he wasn't joking. We're going to be here all day long. I'll try to move as quick as I can. But God's love is a big topic. And so just, just sit back, relax. Jesus is the revelation of God's love. This is what we see from the very beginning of creation to, to, to John's gospel to this very moment we sit in now. Jesus is the revelation of God's love. 1 John 4, 8 to 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
God's love exists not because we, we, we loved him first, not because we, we desired his love, not because we wanted his love, not because we begged and pleaded enough as a people to, for him to finally turn his love towards us. God's love existed from the very moment of creation. Scripture provides for us this picture of God's love through the person of Jesus. You see, there's many names that that are given to the Messiah, the Son of God, Light of the World, Savior, Lamb of God, Good Shepherd, all sorts of names throughout the, the, the New Testament given to this Messiah. But let's look for a moment at the the basic, the very ordinary name of Jesus. And for us today, just that sentence I just said uh, feels wrong, the ordinary name of Jesus. Because we have Philippians 2.10 and 11 that says, So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to glory to God the Father. For us, the name of Jesus isn't so basic or ordinary, but the reality is in this time of the New Testament, this was a very common name. The name of Jesus was actually a quite common and ordinary name. At the name of Jesus, though, every knee will bow. The reality is that to be given such an ordinary name, God had pretty incredible plans for this child. But as we learn throughout Scripture, God has a way, a special way of taking what is ordinary and making it holy. He has a way of doing the same with us. Taking our ordinary lives, our ordinary efforts, our ordinary pursuits and making them holy through his love. The name Jesus in Hebrew was so popular among the Jews because its meaning is literally savior or deliverer. So the people, again, they're desperate to hear something from God. They're, they're greeting each other with, have you heard a word from the Lord? And so the, the people are naming their, their sons Jesus to carry on the hope and the promise that God would one day deliver them from their enemies. Even after 400 years, generations of silence, the people are holding on to hope that God will send a deliverer. So what's so extraordinary about this ordinarily named child, Jesus? Again, we find the answer to our question here in the Bible. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. You see, in our day, a lot of people outside of the church and outside of the faith, we have an issue with accepting that Jesus, the man, that the historical figure of Jesus was actually fully God. That's, that's, that would be the, the, the biggest argument against Jesus as a person, that he was literally God incarnate here on earth. We want to write him off as just a kind person or a good teacher of scripture or even a prophet sent by God. There are people who are, who are okay with, with accepting that Jesus was some sort of, of prophet, that he was, that he was upheld in, in, a, in a bigger way. But, but we have issue accepting that Jesus was fully God. Even we as people of the faith, we, we can, it's one of those things that we just have to wrestle with. Because we have no problem accepting that Jesus was indeed a man of full humanity. There are historical figures, historical uh, documentation of this, this reality. 
But the problem is his divinity, that he was indeed fully God. However, in Jesus' day, the people in which John was writing this gospel account had more of an issue accepting Jesus' humanity. Because Plato had influenced every aspect of religion and philosophy so much that anything tangible came to be seen as inherently evil. Greek philosophers of this day held on to the idea that life's greatest accomplishment was to escape the foul and obnoxious material realm of the physical world. They didn't want Jesus to be a physical human person. They were just looking for the full deity, the the full God here on earth. So they focused on denying the body as a means of connecting with what they conceived as God. Therefore, for God to become anything genuinely physical was something that people couldn't possibly comprehend. They claimed to say that he couldn't possibly fully be fully God and fully man at the same time. Because the divine wouldn't possibly enter into the physical realm of existence. There's no possible way that that would even be a reality. They claimed he only seemed to be tangible or physical, maybe even just an illusion. But John, in his gospel, he firmly contradicts this claim, and it's an important reality for us. Because John says, the word became flesh. God took on bones and meat. We, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. He wasn't an illusion. He wasn't a, a figment of anyone's imagination. God became man. In order to attempt the full grasp of the depths of God's love revealed through Jesus, it's crucial that we understand that, that Jesus was fully human and also fully God. Because, friends, this is the essence of Advent that God came to earth, that God did not remain abstract. Having already re- revealed himself in dreams and visions as a supernatural fire in the midst of a, a, a burning bush, as an outwardly glow above the Ark of the Covenant throughout the entire Old Testament, we see all these ways that God is, is revealing himself through people. We come to this season of Advent, this time of Christmas, and we realize that God became man. He took on flesh and bones so that we could dwell, so that he could dwell among us. God became like us as humans. He entered our weary, broken, helpless, hopeless, chaotic world. God became like us. But why would he do this? Why would the divine step down from heaven into our weary existence to prove his love for us? For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only sons that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God's plan centered on one man who entered the human race as a baby, who defeated death for us all as a man who hung on a cross 
even though he was sinless and blameless, even though he had done no wrong, and we, as, as a people, as a, as, a, as a world, had done all the wrong, he took it on, all on for us. Friends, this is what Christmas is all about. It's not about the baby in a manger. It's about the, the man that that baby would become. That God chose to dwell with us. That he loved us so much that he didn't care if we had been good or bad. He was willing to show up with the greatest gift we could possibly imagine, himself. The good news, friends, this, this day, this, this moment, this season, even, even if you're one of those that, that Pastor Steve was, was, was talking, if you, were, if you felt uh, the reference of not feeling like it's Christmas, and I'm right there. We just moved. We just put all of our Christmas stuff in, up in the attic, and I said, Kelsey, we can decorate next year because we're not even unpacked yet. We don't feel like it's Christmas either. But the good news we hold on to, whether we feel like it's Christmas or whether it's the middle of July, is that God loved you so much that he gave his son to die for you. The good news is this, that God loved you enough to become like you so that you may become like him. So that you may become like Jesus. So that Jesus in his death in his sacrifice, in his resurrection, could give you the righteousness to stand before the throne of God in heaven. He sent Jesus so that we might be restored to that original image he created us in, his own image, so that we have the hope and the joy and the peace promised to us that one day we will stand in his presence forever. That no sin, no shame, no, no worldly realities would separate us from the holiness of God. Yet too many of us, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Too many of us overcomplicate the gospel message. And we overcomplicate it on one extreme or the other. Some of us, we fail to live into the reality that God actually loves us. We, we come to church, we do the things, we, we serve, we, 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 we see God's love for other people, but, but we hold within ourselves, in the back of our mind, and in, in, in the quietness of our, our own souls, we, we list all of the ways and all of the reasons why God couldn't possibly love me. Because we know all of our deepest, darkest secrets. We know all of the things we've done wrong. We know the thoughts that we have about people. We know every time we've stumbled, every time we've messed up. And so we read things like, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And we think, yes, the world it, it receives God's love, but me, man, I'm just a lowly sinner. I've messed up too much. I've done too much. I, I struggle too much. I have that one thing that I just keep coming back to that just, that just pulls me away from God's love. And so some of us live on that side of the reality of, of, of God's love, and we just overcomplicate this simple message that God loved us enough to become like us so that we may become like him, and we just live in that weight of shame. 
that, yeah, God's love is for everyone else. Or we fall on the other extreme. And I'm going to admit up front, I'm going to be transparent. This is, this is the side that I kind of lean toward. Is that, yeah, God loves me and I, I read the scripture and I interpret God's love through his word and through his, through his truth. And then I see this whole mass of people and I think, you're missing it. There's no way. You're receiving God's grace and God's love. There's no way you're living the right way to receive that. And so we fall on either side. God will love me as long as I do these things. Or we fall on the side as God loves me. And so why are these people living this way and not living like me? Because for us, our love is conditional. Whether we choose to accept it or not, our humanly, worldly love is conditioned upon certain values we have. Or if you look and you think and you act like me, then I want to be around you. I want to have a relationship with you. But the reality is, the truth is that God's love is unconditional. There is no, as long as you do this, then I'll love you. Or as long as they're living this way, then they're not receiving the same love that you're receiving. There is no us or them in God's love. It is God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish. Man, this would be so much easier if we could just rewrite this, that God so loved the Wesleyan church that all of us who believe in him would not perish or, or God so loved America. But this is God so loves the world the whole world, ourselves included, and everyone else that makes us angry, that offends us. As I said, I tend to fall on this side. And I want to share a story, and I don't want it to, to um, make anyone feel put on the spot of if you've been in the, this circumstance or this situation. The story is, is, is more about my own failings and not your own. But Kelsey and I uh, have been foster parents for about four and a half years. And our son Owen, if you've encountered um, him, he, we, we adopted him about two, a year and a half ago. And uh, we're also fostering a little baby right now who um, is in our care. And we fostered uh, counting them, we, we've had 11 children that we've been the parents of in the midst of our time fostering. And being the parents of 11 very different children uh, has been very taxing on us as, as people, as a couple. Uh, again, for me, who, who has struggled to uh, uh, show love in, in certain ways, uh, I, I tend to just want to just remove myself from situations and so it's, it's, been a, it's been a long haul for us as foster parents. And for me, the, the biggest issue I have in foster care is that I am being the parent. I'm serving, I'm standing in the parent relationship to someone else's biological child. And so as me personally, and not every foster parent is like this, some of them are the exact opposite of me. But for me personally, I am instantly just kind of turned away from any sort of love toward the biological parents. 
And again, if you've been in a situation where, where you've been the biological parent to a, a foster child who's been taken away from you, again, I'm not saying anything against you. This is more about me. But we had one little guy, and I'm just going to, for the purposes of this story, I'm going to say, say his name was Marcus. His name wasn't Marcus, but to uh, cover up any sort of, um, you know, personal issues and names. I'm going to say his mom's name, his biological mother's name was Renee. Again, not her actual name, but Marcus was a child. Renee was uh, the, the mom, and we had had this little guy in our care. He went back and then came back to our care uh, for various reasons that uh, kind of all centered around the biological mother's deficiencies and uh, things that she just needed to work on. And so I, as the person, I am just naturally am, in my own humanly worldly perspective, I'm just turned off by Renee. As much as I try to, to, to act like it's all fine, I'm, I'm turned off by Renee. And so Marcus, every night, he, he was three and a half years old, but he was smarter than any kid I've ever met. He knew what was going on. He knew the reality of, of his circumstances. And so every night we would get ready for, he would, we'd get him ready for bed, and I would sit beside his, his little toddler bed, and we would say his prayer. He would say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Bless me as I sleep. Amen. And we'd say his prayer, and, and, and one night we were talking about making good choices. Because again, Marcus was a three-and-a-half-year-old boy. If you've ever met a three-and-a-half-year-old boy, they don't always make good choices. So we're talking about making good choices. And he was saying, as three-and-a-half-year-old boys do, uh, talking about bad people. Bad people make bad choices. And I was saying, well, you know, people make bad choices. And, and yes, sometimes there are people that make badder choices than some people. But, you know, just trying to, to direct him away from the language of bad people. But Marcus held on to that bad people. And we were talking about how making good choices is just the right thing to do. We pray to Jesus to help us make good choices because God loves us. And God loves everyone else. And we want to make good choices because of God's love. And so we kind of went through a, a couple of people. He called us mommy and daddy. He said, well, God loves mommy? And I said, well, yes, God loves mommy. God loves everybody. God loves me? I said, yes, Marcus, God loves you. God loves everybody. And he waited for a couple moments and I could see something stirring and he said, Daddy, God even loves Renee? A three-and-a-half-year-old, even him, knowing the, the, the mistakes, the, the, the failures, the, the things that Renee had done against him, because she was so wrapped up in, in the circumstances of her own world. And even me, as he asked me, as a human, my fleshly heart thought, I don't know. But then I read the gospel. And I see that the word became flesh. I hear that for while we were still sinners, God died for us. I hear that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
And in that very moment on the floor of our three and a half year old son's foster son's room beside his toddler bed, that little guy preached the gospel to me more than I've ever heard it before. That God even loves whoever that person is that you think surely not. They've done too many things against me or too many things against this person that I know or they they just live in such a way that there's no way. Or on the other side of the coin that, that God even loves you. That he loves you enough to become like you. That even though he was sinless, even though he didn't do the things that you have done, the the list that you have in your mind right now of the reasons why he couldn't have possibly loved you, that even though all of those things existed and he didn't do a single one, he died in your place because you did. He took on the weight of that sin and that shame. He became flesh because he loves you. And he loves the world around you. Even that person you haven't spoken to for years because of the thing they did against you, he loves them. And so we take the opportunity today to remind ourselves of the simple yet extravagant love of the Father. The Father who sent his only begotten Son in the most simple yet extraordinary way in a lowly manger stall, born to two poor, lowly people. Jesus was born, God became flesh, so that we could live in the depths of his love, so that we could be born again into a new creation here on earth through his hope, through his peace, through his joy. His love was expressed to us so that we may have life. And he came to seek and to save us all, for we were all lost in our transgressions. And he calls us, the church, his people, his his body, the redeemed, to do the same. To realize that God even loves those people. That God even loves that person that I couldn't possibly even consider loving my own human fleshly desire. And so friends, the question still today, even though God is not silent for us, he is is active and working in and through us now, the question I have for you today is, have you heard a word from the Lord? Have you received this word? Has it become so filled within you that God's love just fills you up and flows out of you in such a way that his love is felt by every person you encounter? Or are you so wrapped up in your own things? Maybe you're like me and so wrapped up in enlisting the ways that God couldn't possibly love someone else that you have a list against, or God couldn't possibly love me. The question is simple. Have you heard this word from the Lord? And when you have, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray.
God, we thank you for your love. For that love that delivers us a peace that surpasses all understanding. That love that gives us hope. Even when we have a whole list of reasons to be hopeless. That love that helps us and causes us and persuades us to live in joy even when there's no happiness to be found. God, we thank you for your extravagant love. A love big enough and unconditional enough to love the whole world. God, let us receive this morning the mandate that we find in that statement that whoever would believe in Jesus should not perish. Let us remove all of our, our conditions, all of our, our, our things, our circumstances. Help us to be so filled with your love this Christmas season and beyond to go and tell the world of the good news the gospel, the name of Jesus. For it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Friends, be reminded today through God's love revealed and God's love received that he loved you so much that he stepped into your place so that you could be found in his righteousness to worship eternally around the throne. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.